Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Howdy, folks. Happy Tuesday. Uh, we took the day off for President's Day, but we're back and plenty to discuss. Um, for the pre-show, since Russ has stiffed on us, <laughs> um, I will handle the pre-show festivities. And today is the... Uh, 40 when I read this, it, I know, you know, February 22nd every year, I know what that day is, but 42 years, Kev. I know I'm old because <laughs> yeah. I, you know, he took that when he's talking to me, yeah, <laughs> but it's like it does, it doesn't seem like 42 years since the miracle on ice and maybe it's because it's on youtube and we see it every 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 year on this day or every four years when the u.s is in the olympics but it doesn't seem that long ago no uh, no it does not um and uh you know it it was voted the most influential sporting event uh of the century um and uh you know so much uh um, you know, you know, we were, we, you know, they made a movie about it and everything else. And, you know, this is my time every year at this time, I make my pitch to have, you know, Mike Ruzioni's spot on the ice commemorated Lake Placid arena is still there. It's still active yeah. and a lot of teams play there. It should be marked, right? Uh Oh, absolutely. Sorry. He'll kick, he'll kick in in a second. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah, no commemoration on the ice, and it really should be there. Uh, I just don't, you know, see why it's it's not there. Yeah, no, I I I, I agree, and uh, and you know, I mean, it's uh, unlike most people, and I've said this every year when we've talked about this. I watched it live because CTV, I think it was CTV, carried it alive, and on ABC, I don't think it was played until like seven thirty. Yeah, uh, it was a. I think it was a Friday night. I think they they, they carried it live at seven thirty, and of course Jim McKay was. It was like you know he was announcing it. And he it was like he it was like he had a canary in his mouth. You know what I'm saying? It was like yeah he he, he could, you couldn't you could see that he couldn't keep in the the joy. Although, uh, but then 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 they they showed it again the following day too because everybody wanted to watch it. But I saw it live, and it was Don Chevrier who did the broadcast on CTV and it wasn't the same as Al Michaels with, do you believe in miracles? Yes, but it was still, you know, I mean, and, and Kevin, the, the thing was I, I followed that team a lot. And when they played at Madison square garden, uh, I think it was a couple weeks before the Olympics, maybe a week before it was a warm up game. And it was sort of a friendly, I guess. And they lost like eight to one. They got their butts kicked. And uh, I remember, I think Jim Gordon, the, Rangers announcer Ed Chadwick, or, or uh, they did the play-by-play, and it was sort of an embarrassing performance. They, you could see that you know this is the team that beat the NHL All Stars, and you know yeah. the following year would win the Canada Cup, and then against the U.S. in that Olympics, they just you know they met their match. Yeah, and uh, you know I've written so much about that, but you know the story of that game too was what Herb Brooks said afterward to Jim Craig. He basically said to Jim, "I made a mistake. You know, I, I thought you were ready, but you know, you you, you know your your fastball uh, seems five miles an hour slower than it was. I've worn you out. Um, you're not ready." And he right. just really laid it on him and really fired up. Uh, you know, Craig. You know, Craig was ready to go in there and prove. Uh, to her Brooks that he wasn't tired, that he was ready to go. Yeah. Um, you know, it was all psychological warfare. Uh, her Brooks used to tell that, uh, you know, the Russian players, that couple of Russian players, I think it was Maltsev and uh, uh, Harlamov, uh, looked like Laurel and Hardy, um, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, he always said, you know, how, how can you uh, not compete against Laurel and Hardy? And, uh, <laughs> He always had, you know, something going uh, with that group. So, you know, it's just one of the legendary games. There'll never be anything like it. Um, 
you know, it was just. Um, I mean, another thing about that that I always think about is uh, Janicek, who's the backup, right? Yeah. Um, wasn't he? Um, wasn't he Herb Brooks's college goalie? Like that was the guy, if I remember right. I thought maybe I'm wrong about that, but I, I think thought, he was University of Minnesota. I, I'm pretty sure. I thought, I thought he was like yeah. the guy, um, and that was what was. Maybe I'm wrong, but that, I thought there was something about that that made the Craig thing so much more surprising. Yeah, the, the best Janzak story is Dave Olgren, who was the PR guy and then ended yeah. up becoming director of uh, uh, of uh, USA Hockey. At that point, was you know in, in his early 20s and was the PR guy. Was on a plane, was wearing a USA Hockey jacket, uh, and the the pilot made note because there were players on that thing that there were so many players and. Uh, on the on the the plane, and people were asking for autographs, and they'd stick their uh, pads in front of uh, Dave Ogren, and the players just said, told Dave, "Say, you know, just sign them. They don't, you know, they don't know who the players are." <laughs> and, and Dave said, "Well, you know, probably Janizak is not getting off, so he just signed Steve Janizak's name, <laughs> lots of autographs." And he always says, "You know, there are probably fifty to hundred autographs of Steve Janizak out there." Um, that are not authentic, that I actually <laughs> signed them because I just pretended I was a Janizak because nobody knew who he was. <laughs> the other crazy thing I had to say about that, though, oh. that is like it was the um, the thing that for Flyers fans, like people around here, like I when I was watching that um, game, when I was watching the, the, the Olympics in general, I remember watching on a black and white TV in my parents' room and um, watching them tie up Sweden in that game, that in the tie up game, and, and that. That goalie was Pelle Lindbergh. It was playing yeah. in Sweden. And that was the first time I had seen Pelle play. And growing up as a Bernie Perrant fan, you know, I just love the fact that this guy had the same mask as Bernie Perrant and was going to be a flyer. I thought that was the – so Pelle Lindbergh became my favorite player and still number 31 to this day. My daughter's number 31 when she plays in soccer tournaments, stuff like that. And uh, still like the guy that – just Pelle was my guy. He was totally 100% my guy. And that's the first time I saw him was in that uh, situation. And also – um. Thomas Erickson, who also played for the Flyers, played on that team too. He was on that on that Sweden team, Sweden team too. He was like a you know a little less famous of a flyer, but you know. But well, I mean, look, we had a Pelle Lindbergh. I, I think the other the other thing is you know the you know, Peter Stastny played for Czechoslovakia, and you see like a Glenn Anderson played for uh, for Team Canada. I mean, there were there were there yeah. were a lot of good players on those teams. Um, you know that people don't really remember because Canada. Uh, you know, unlike you know other years where they're just the the best team in the tournament and the most talent that you know yeah. that they were they weren't at that level. They they actually had some success, but then then didn't make the medal round. But yeah, no, it was it was a great yeah. tournament. But it's just it's just so weird that you know I mean forty two years, and I think when we did it yeah. four, a couple years ago, it's just bizarre. Yeah, um, yeah. The other thing that's not readily known is is that Don Waddell, who's the general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes, was forecasted to make that team. He was a great really? um, puck-moving defenseman at the college level. Only played one NHL game, but most people thought he was going to make that team, and he got hurt. Um, and he was not the last cut or anything. That was Craig Cox. But I had the Russian wrong. It was not uh, – uh, it was oh, – Ralph, uh, Ralph, Ralph Cox. No, it was yeah. Oh, you're Ralph Cox, yeah, not, not Craig Cox. Ralph Cox, absolutely. Yeah. But I also had the name of the Russian wrong. It was Mikhailov, who uh, oh, Stan Mikhailov. Laurel. He looked like Stan Laurel. So, oh yeah, wasn't Don wasn't Don Modell in, in college? Yeah, at that time, teammates with one Tom Laidlaw. He, well, yeah, they were defensive partners. Uh, <laughs> right. So now, the, a- the best story about their friendship is, is mm-hmm. Don Waddell played one game in the NHL, and it was against the New York Rangers. <laughs> so he shows up on the ice and Tom Laidlaw skating in the warm up and he and he skated by and he said and both remember the quote accurately what the hell are you doing here <laughs> uh, and also Don Waddell readily admits that in his first shift in the NHL Ron Greshner uh, danced around him and scored a uh, a goal that was the only goal he gave up um, during that night but it was on his first NHL shift <laughs> there you go. Oh man! All right, let's let's get into the uh, actual introductions here. Do we didn't do yet? Um, I guess. Um, hello, Hockey World. It is February twenty second, two thousand and twenty two. I'm Michael Agello. I'm Anthony Mangione. 
I'm Kevin Allen. I'm thankful I at least remember my name. So, <laughs> And I'm Eklund. You're watching Hockey Buzzcast on HockeyBuzz.com. This is the podcast that comes every Monday through Friday to fill you in on the comings and the goings in the hockey world. And um, I want to just – I'm working on the rumor chart right now, and I'm heavy into it. Um, and it's been um, – it's going to go up later tonight, I think, tomorrow morning at the latest. A lot of players. Um, so I do want to get into some of that um, as well. But, Mike, what do you have anything interesting to go with in the beginning here, news-wise? Well, I think the landscape has changed a little bit after what happened last night in Montreal, mm-hmm. um, because I know that you you mentioned yesterday yeah. uh, about uh, the Leafs being maybe in on Giordano, but uh, yep. um, their cap situation um, at that point did not lend itself to that possibility, but now it may have because yeah. Jake Muzzin, um, who was concussed last month, uh, in a game against St. Louis, came back. He, he missed uh, a couple weeks at least, seven games, I know that. He came back, was sort of slowly getting back into it. Last night um, he lost his edge uh, and uh, slammed into – it was not a purposeful hit, but it was a collision between him and Chris Weidman. And when he collided with him, his head went full force into the ice and he was down on the ice for a few minutes um, skated off under his own power, but did not travel with the team to Columbus. And now there the are reports out there, uh, Nick Kiprios reported a few other sources are saying he's out indefinitely. And when you have a concussion quickly followed by another concussion, you know, especially the player who is, you know, bit, you know, he's been a physical player, a lot of wear and tear on him. Um, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if, if he was out a significant period and maybe out until the beginning of the playoffs. It could be a, a situation where they say better safe than sorry. We'll keep you out until the, the playoffs. And then LTIR comes into focus here, just like with Kucherov, just like with right. Mark Stone, that opens up $5.62 million in salary. And that would allow the Leafs to trade for a defenseman. Now, the one thing I can tell you is that, and I was up in Toronto on Saturday um the the speculation around there is they're not trading for a rental if they're trading their first round pick or they're trading prospects they want a player that they can have for a number of years not a guy like nick felino last year where they traded a first round pick and then he turns around and walk and signs someplace else and they're and they don't have anything to show for a first round pick if they're going to trade an asset they want somebody who they can they who's under contract for a year or two or they think that they can sign uh, to an extension. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's possible, but I mean, they have a month and I think that's the one thing they have a month to explore the, the market and who knows, yeah. you know, Muzzin could be back in two weeks, but I think there's a lot of worry there about the future of Jake Muzzin based on what's happened to him. Well, you know, um, a name here that comes, that came up and Kevin and I were talking about a little bit earlier today. Um, that is, that is the circling around is Hampus Lindholm, Hampus Lindholm, who is a, um, you know, he's a, he is a, he's a UFA ducks trying to get him signed. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, his game has risen a lot this year and he, to the point where the ducks missed him for a little while. Um, not too long ago, I guess through due to like a, a, a wrist injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, everybody talked about how noticeable it was that like he, without him in the lineup, they, they, they suffer. They definitely suffer defensively. Um, you know, and it's, it's, if you lose one defenseman and you're suffering, like, Kevin, you think they have a chance at resigning him? Yeah, I do. Um, I think they think they have a chance now. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't mean anything, um, but um, they think they're you know going to be able to get him to to stay there, and uh, you know that's important to them because yeah, yeah, you know they've got a good young team. So um, I I think he's a priority, and I think they'll open up the vault a little bit. They got new a new GM in town, new sheriff, and. Uh, uh, Pat Rubik's a lot like Steve Eiserman. You know, he's going to build yeah. through the draft, but he appreciates hardworking guys, appreciates guys who are on the upward trend. Uh, so right. I see them making every effort to, to sign him. That, but that doesn't mean they'll get it done. One thing we've noted through the years is when guys get this close, yeah, yeah. they start to say, well, I ought to at least explore it. Yeah. yeah. And that seems to be the yeah. narrative with, with Lindholm is the fact that, he, you know, He's considered, 
I mean, I think he's a top maybe 15 defenseman in this league, but it's sort of out of sight, out of mind because he plays in Anaheim. Unless you're willing to stay up till 10 o'clock to watch a game for two and a half hours, you're not going to catch much Hampus Lindholm games unless they're playing East. But he's a he's a really good defenseman. But the thing is, is that they've got three unrestricted free agents. They have Lindholm, they have Josh Manson, and they have Raquel. And yeah. they have cap space. But they have one free, unrestricted free agent. Well, you mean Lindholm's there, right? The only, Lindholm is the only one that matters, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, and and I and I agree, yeah. but I mean, they the thing is, they may think we don't have a chance to sign Lindholm unless we pay him eight million dollars, but we can sign Manson and we can sign Raquel. So I mean, that that's all depends on how has he risen to that point. Like, have we seen him grow to that? I don't think we have. I mean, I, think I mean, it's, in many ways, in, in some ways, this kind of reminds you a little bit of Edmonton with Darnell Nurse in a lot of ways. You may not necessarily see him as being, you know. A number one per se, but by potential default in in in, in Anaheim. Yeah, yeah. You just you just opened this sec t- talking about how important he is to the Ducks. He's really important to the team. Yeah, but you know, you salaries now are based on importance to the team. I mean, we yeah, okay. comparables yeah. are still important, yeah. but yeah. You, you pay guys based yeah. on your situation and you know how important they are. In fact, you know, with one of the things in Detroit, that's what Eiserman says in all negotiations, I don't want to hear about your stats. What we're going to talk about is your importance to my team. Yeah, that's and, what he's. That's the way he negotiates. I think that's how Verbeek will negotiate as well. And, and people in that the chatter, sense. people in the chatter, talking about, um, you know, Wierenski making over nine, Seth yeah. making over nine, Dougie Hamilton making over nine. The reason that Leaf fans were doing huzzas and handsprings when Morgan Riley signed his contract is he wanted to stay in Toronto. He was prepared to take a little bit less to, and get the eight years, and he's at seven and a half, and they're ecstatic over that deal. Now, maybe they won't be ecstatic in seven years, but they're ecstatic right now because the cap hit wasn't that severe. But if you're talking about a top flight, top pairing defenseman, you're, you're, you're the start, the talk starts probably with a seven and then raises right to an eight. Mike, if you're talking about a guy, if you're going to write, say he's a top 15 defenseman in the national hockey league, you accept the fact that that is the echelon that you're going to be paying at. Yeah. I, think even, I think it's deeper than the top 15. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe 20, 25. Yeah. Is Lindholm a top 15 defenseman in this league? I, you know, look at you look around the league, and if you have a pulse, you get 2.5 million. And if you're, de- if you're decent, yeah. you get 5 million. Yeah. Okay. And then after that, you know, you grow, yeah, you know, yeah, eventually. Like I, you know, I, I, you know, your point is well taken about how they would, you know, like to probably sign everybody. But I think the um, priority is definitely Lindholm. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, and I, I think they'd like to sign Manson too. But, you know, not as much as they'd like to sign Lindholm. They want to get him. Manson does want to stay there from talking to people. But whether or not, you know, he's going to be able to do that. Um, you mentioned today to me, Kevin, and, and I've heard this as well before that you know this is a this is and we've talked about it with Mike is this is a this is a maybe a Toronto Maple Leafs target Manson. Yeah. Now, do you know? Did, I thought I read somewhere, I and mean, maybe I'm wrong in this, but I thought I read that Manson might have said no go to Toronto. He um, Elliot yeah. Friedman reported a couple weeks ago that Toronto was one right. of, was one of the teams that he believes that most of the Canadian teams are on his no. Uh, no, no fault on him, right. but <laughs> that, that uh, it is possible that you know if they were if they had approached him and he didn't have a contract and Anaheim was, um, you know, not going to make the playoffs, that he would agree to go to a team like Toronto or a team like Calgary that are making the playoffs because it helps them in terms of marketability for the for, yeah. for free agency. But you know, he wants some control, and that's what he's earned uh, on his contract. So that's that's fine, but. Um, the thing is, Manson's a rental, Lindholm's a rental, uh, Klingberg, uh, uh, Friedman reported that the Leafs were in on Klingberg, and I know Leaf fans are probably shaking their head at that that fact because um, Klingberg is the same type of defenseman that they have throughout their lineup. All offense, little yeah. defense, but they were interested in him, but they decided on this deal that they made on Saturday for uh, – 
that didn't cost them much and actually helped them in terms of the cap next year, trading Richie to Arizona. And, and Eck, I said it two weeks ago. I said Richie to Arizona because yeah. Arizona's got five guys under contract and they were, the, you know, they were, they definitely would be interested in, I'm sure in other deals, they're going to be interested in getting bodies who are signed next year because good luck trying to get free agents to sign there when they're going to be playing in a band box at Arizona state. Yeah. They, they like the return. That's, that's the, the big thing. You know, they're going to be in three or four teams that will take salaries. If you give them, you know, a potential yeah. second round pick, you know, so. Yeah. Um, Anthony, I want to talk to you about Ristolainen for a second. Yes. This is another name that I've been talking about out there. Uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, he's also been linked to Toronto a couple of times by different people. Um, I I said to somebody today, and I really do believe this, that what happens with Ristolainen will tell us what's going to happen with Fletcher. I feel like, I feel as if I feel as if Ristolainen is re-signed by the Flyers, then we know Fletcher is here for a while. And if he's not, then um, if he's traded, then Fletcher you know, I think I think his job could be in serious. From what I what I've been able to glean, uh, that I don't think this off season that Fletcher is necessarily going to be in jeopardy. From people I've been able to talk to, who are right. and they, I, I I think he would have in either circumstance whether he resign whether they get mm -hmm. Ristolainen resigned or they decide to move him. Um, I think he still has the off season and he has the early part of the, and it still has at least the early part of next season. Uh, before they would decide to make that kind of a move. Yeah. Now, do you think Ristolainen would be moved? I think there's a good chance of it, yes, especially if they think they can re um, – if they can re get a bit of what they, what they you know, sent out, obviously, to Buffalo. I think if what, you know, what they could – if they think they can squeeze a first-round pick in return, I think there's a good chance of that, I do. Yeah. Um, I think so. How good is he, Anthony? Rasmus, I, I, there's a lot of things about Rasmus Ristolainen and I like. I think he provides yeah. the one thing I think that makes the Flyers bite their knuckles the fact that they are not an overly physical blue line without him in the lineup. That's that's that says something. Um, I you know uh -huh. things happen to him on the ice. You know over commitments, he still has those issues. Um, but I think he has value to Philadelphia going forward. Um, but I also believe that he could be a very, I think he could be a very valuable, valuable chip for them. Again, I, he has, I believe is that he has every intention of going to market he, that he wants, that he's going to go right. into free agency. So if the Flyers are going to resign him. They're going to have to, they're going to have to pony up probably to get him all along. Right. They're going to give a lot to him. I mean, you know, can't really blame him. He's been now in, in, you know, he obviously thinks he's going to get into a better situation coming to Philly than Buffalo, and he ends up in the same situation. You yeah. know, he has, really he has to think to himself, you know, after you're trading Paul Drew, which I, I, you know, at this point now we're all pretty much, you know, in agreement yeah. that's going to happen. Um, it's what the team maybe you may have to communicate to him what your plan, plans are this offseason. If he is going to resign, are you going to go after, you know, a top flight free agent? Are they going to be, you know, Moving out some younger players too, uh, that I think could you know that could potentially be on the move as well if they feel if they're trying to and it, it's a mix that obviously does need shaking. It's too, I mean, they've had injuries and that's certainly a massive amount of injuries and that plays a big role in where yeah. they're at right now. But there's other, I think there's other things too where I think there are certain players that they yeah. would like to have kicked in a little bit more that may that haven't. The name that keeps coming up, and I, I just don't really buy it completely but is that of travis connecting you know um i don't really buy that he would be moved but at the same time you know like you said they have to make they may have to make a change there's, there's not they're not getting and I've, I've i've noticed i don't know about you but i've noticed a little uptick in connecting's play over the last couple of weeks mm -hmm. he's definitely picked up his game with and when he's when he's playing really well he's a very very effective player but he has have the ability to disappear for very long stretches um of time and he's still, and again, not that you, you want him to be a good, yeah. obviously you, you want him to focus on the offensive game, but also he has his, again, there are certain things that defensively uh, that he should have picked up yeah. in the last few years that he still is making the same mistakes yeah. that he was making four years ago. So yeah. that's another thing that goes into the mix when you're talking about a Travis Connect. Yeah. Why I don't I, I think with, with connecting the, the issue here is, the Flyers are in need of a player they know they can trade. Um, they have guys they want to trade, but they right. don't know whether they can trade him. And right. with that, you know you can trade him. Right. 
Right. Because right. people like him. They yeah. feel like there's more there. Um, so I, I think that's the issue. I, I don't think they want to trade him, but they may have. Now, I think that's dead on. And Konechny is not – Konechny is that rare player that he is completely and utterly instinctual. Uh, and that works to his advantage and disadvantage. Uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, and and so like he's like, you get him to play in a defensive system, not that easy because he's completely he he believes in his instincts. So like he believes his instincts got him there. He's going to stick with his instincts, but at the same time, at, you know, and so he's going to play where he's going to be where he, so he thinks he should be. He's going to make anticipate when he thinks he should anticipate. He's not going to lay back. He's very much, but at times that that makes him a, a really interesting player because he's hard to defend against if he's if he's if he's on top of his game. Um, and but, you do but, want to see him, I think. Again, you know, I, I think he and. Sean Couturier have a had a in many ways that we look at and wonder what how Ivan Provorov uh, would have projected this season. He looked very good, obviously, with a good partner in, in Ryan Ellis. I do often feel like that we we see the best out of Travis Konechny when he is a, when he's playing with a Sean Couturier. And again, sure. Flyers are so hit down the middle right now, um, you know, with injuries and yeah. players being out. Um, you know that that I think a lot of times you can allow for Konechny's offensive instincts when you know you've got a player who's good enough two way to cover for sometimes when he goes on those forays. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I want to make a point. Then, go, ahead. Go, go ahead. I was going to say it brings me Kevin to Nemestikov, like you know, like another yeah. player who is out there, um, who's like a good top, could be a second line, third line guy, um, playing really, really well. Has had a yeah. career all over the place. What do you think? Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I think um, you know he's going to end up one of the best bargains in the in the uh, okay. uh, trade market, and I say that because he's so versatile. Like he has played on every line for the Red Wings. Right. He's been on the fourth line. He's been on the third line. He was on the second line. Now he's been playing on the first line. Bertuzzi got moved down, and the reason he can do that is. He can do whatever you want. Like he can kill penalties. Uh, they use them on the power play because he likes to go to the net. He's highly skilled. He can yeah. skate. He's defensively responsible. And he's one of the more liked guys in the dressing room. Very yeah. popular with his teammates. Wow. He is a Russian player who grew up in America. He's more American than you are. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, you know, he is a very, very, very likable guy. And he scored 13 goals this season. And, yeah. and sometimes he's only played 12 or 13 minutes. And, and I'll give you two things that are interesting. And, okay, he's a $2 million salary, so yeah. I can retain 50%. He's a million-dollar player, which is, is only a, a quarter of a million more than a league minimum salary, right. which is very, very fittable for teams that are up against it. Kev, why do I suspect – that the team that he played for before that is looking for forward depth might be one of the teams interested. And by the way, another team that was interested in signing him as a free agent uh, whose father works for the organization happens to be the Toronto Maple Leafs. So maybe yeah. not at the deadline, but maybe not in, in free agency, they'd be interested in him. But Tampa Bay, him going to Tampa Bay makes just all the sense in the world. It sure does. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in Detroit didn't understand Steve Eisenman's fascination with him. You know, he drafted him in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, until he's been here and you watched him and you realize that he's not a star, but he really does do everything well. Yeah. yeah. The coaches like him because you can plug him in. He'll do whatever you ask. He understands what role he is to play when you move him up and down the lineup. Um, and as I said, he's such a likable guy that, you know, there's no negative side to Nemestikov. Um, everything right. about him is uh, is plus. You know, he's just not a star. I think originally they had hoped that you know maybe he was going to blossom into yeah. a 25 goal plus or 30 goals. He's had some decent seasons. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's a valuable. He, you know, he for a team looking for secondary scores. You know, Pittsburgh wants middle six forwards. Um, yeah. Nashville is looking for secondary scoring. Uh, Tampa Bay, as Mike mentioned, is looking for that. Also, I think they're looking for a right shot uh, D-man, too. But he's mm -hmm. got to be better than what they have. You know, the right side's not bad either in Tampa on defense, too. Right. So, yeah, I think there are going to be a lot of teams. I think he's going to be very popular in the marketplace. And, you know, I wrote uh, just recently that I felt 
you know, could they squeeze a second out of him? Like, um, you know, maybe I, if there were enough suitors yeah, in it, uh, you know, I think it's possible. But, you know, under normal circumstances, he'd be a third-round pick. Right. Because you know? right. uh, mostly he's played on the third line. So Yeah, right. It would make some sense. It would totally make some sense. Um, I also the um, the other name I have right here I wanted to talk about was um, was Holtby, um, who is uh, you know I continually say you know and the, the question the question that we talked about earlier Kevin is very true is like where is Dallas what is Dallas is still in it right now and the reality is Dallas is still in it so as long as they're still in it Pavelski yeah. Holtby Klingberg these guys are you know they're all probably not going to be moved anywhere. Right, and there was a there was a story that came out uh, this morning uh, from David Pagnata saying that the Stars are trying to talk to Pavelski about signing an extension, which is not surprising since he's been so good the last yeah. season and a half, and then you know he was great in the bubble in the playoffs. But yeah, I mean they're three points out of a wild card spot; they're not out of it. So yeah. I, I would, you know, and maybe that was you know the reason that the the Leafs didn't kick in on Klingberg is because Klingberg's not available right now. And if they if Dallas stays in the race, then Jim Nill's probably not selling. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean you know Dallas is uh, you know played great at home, and I'm looking they're uh, six and four in their last ten, um, but they've played reasonably well uh yeah uh to, to kind of hang in there and uh you know they've got a 571 uh, points percentage so uh, you know they it's not like they've got to sell off they've got a yeah. lot going and they need Pavelski and you know at his age like I don't think you know he likes moving around all that much like he yeah. may just want to finish it up there in Dallas unless he feels strongly about trying to um, you know, go to a team that has a better shot at winning the cup, but that's hard to do. You know, you don't really know. Like, we can say, yeah. well, you'll, you'll, you know, you can go to Colorado to the best team in the league, but what does that mean? You know, I mean, there are probably eight or nine teams that could win the cup. Yeah, I think so. I think all the playoff teams this year, it tends to be we have such a, we have such disparity between the playoff and non-playoff teams, especially in the East. That all the playoff teams, yeah. are they all look dangerous. I mean, they're all they all look like they're way better than normal. I mean, we don't have any of these teams. We don't have anybody yeah. with sub five hundred that's in the playoffs right now, you know, anywhere. Yeah, no, that's well said. They all look dangerous. I, I, I agree with they you. They do. They're different yeah. situations. And then no, they, they all, look, and yeah. yet a lot of them have the ability to look terrible. Like Washington is one of those teams that is definitely that way. They are. You just hate great. the Caps, Zach. You just hate I don't hate the Caps. I don't. But I Listen, <laughs> I hate the Islanders. You want to talk about a team I hate? You guys always keep <laughs> giving the Islanders this a chance. I hate the Islanders. Lot. The Islanders destroyed my, my childhood, okay? So the Islanders are something I just don't like anything about the Islanders. The Islanders destroyed your they childhood. Destroyed my childhood in 1980. <laughs> that was the street. That streak team was supposed to win the Stanley Cup. They destroyed yeah. my. So you know the Islanders now, though, with their losses over the week this past weekend. Um, Are you finally, prepared? Finally, no, I'm not prepared to say anything. But finally, don't control their own fate. Like before that, they still controlled their own fate. Um, and everybody jokes about this. They're they're seven games at hand, so they're right now they're 21 points back. Okay, so. <laughs> Remember, they play the Capitals three times. Okay, so they play the Capitals three times. So there's six points there, oh and they have seven God. games in hand. So that's 14 points there. So they still technically are they control their fate to within one point of the Capitals now. Before that, they controlled their fate to t- overtake the Capitals. So we can sit there and say they're over, but they still control their fate. So that is something that I think is is you know is worth noting. <laughs> I, I want to go back to just for seconds here to talk about the. Uh, the Muslim Maple Leaf situation, yeah. just because um, you know it's just such a great illustration of what it's like to play hockey in Toronto or Montreal. Yeah. Muslim goes down. Okay, we know nothing about his diagnosis. We don't know right. anything about his injury, and already <laughs> discussing. You know, we're worried about his career. He could be out the rest of the season. Now he did qualify it at the end there, saying. You know, maybe it'll be nothing. They're talking about possible. This opens up cap space. Like, like yeah. we don't know anything about Muslim. Like, we don't well, know. I mean, he could be back in the lineup next week. He's already on LTIR and everyone's had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I, but I'll just say this. I wasn't the only one. No, no. I, I realize that. It's the point I'm yeah. trying to make. That's what it's like yes. in the hockey worlds of Montreal and Toronto where a guy goes down. You know, Dylan Larkin left practice early here in Detroit. 
<laughs> if Austin Matthews leaves practice early and uh, <laughs> it is a much, much bigger story uh, yeah, than, than uh, uh, you know, I mean, you know, they, they'd have him on the IR and uh, two yeah. weeks and, you know, they'd have it all figured out. So, you know, yeah, it's yeah. just it's just it's just a different world. And in fact, but I that's kind of what I appreciate about Toronto and Montreal. It's that yeah. I always yeah. take that over apathy. You know, like I'll, I'll take I'll take it. Yeah, take, yeah. And our sport, I hate to say it, is ripe with apathy. It is, a lot it is. Of, There's a lot of people who are just like ah, you know, not in Toronto, is. Montreal. Hey, yeah. Kev, it's I, big. It's big in those cities. There, there yeah. was a there was a certain segment of the Montreal fan base that were pissed off that Montreal beat the Leafs five to two last night because Montreal fans are, are salivating at the possibility of, of finishing 32nd and being having one chance in four of getting Shane Wright in, in the draft at, at the draft. But, 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 uh, I'm not sure that's Montreal and Toronto as much as it's becoming older yeah. and younger sure. viewpoints. Like my, my son, my son-in-law, um, my cousin, who are much, obviously younger, you know, they they look. There's two ways of sort of looking at a team. You want them to either win, or you want them to lose badly. Like they have two rooting interests um, that they can go with uh, either year, depending on what's happening. Once they've established that their Detroit teams are not going to make the playoffs, they're all in on being miserable. Uh, they want they want a bad. Uh, they you know, say that. But then at the same time, when they watch the team, they are also they also I think and I see this with Flyer fans, is they you know the same thing. No chance they want, you know, there's the fan base, local fan base, they're terrible. They we we need in the bottom out, you know, stink for Shane, all that stuff. And yet it's like a continuous there's a nihil it's almost a nihilistic viewpoint. Oh, I, I yeah, it's it's wild. But I I went through this the lines. You know, I'm I'm old school, you know. I, I just root for my team regardless, you know, and, uh, hey, let the chips fall where they may. And But the younger generation, and I think we have to – I know I do as a sports writer. I have to accept that, that there are now two ways of looking at your team, and I think it's now mainstream. You know, it's not just a few people who think like that. It's a lot of people who think like that. It is. It is. And, and it, it, right it, in the middle. There, nobody I, I, don't, I still don't I, – I still am above the belief that it is a minority of people who think like that. Um, because, and I, it, it is a vocal minority of people that think like that, but I yeah. think at the end of the day, when you still go to the games, if you still sit in that arena, like a Flyers arena or a Detroit arena, or, and you, you still hear people rooting for them to win. You do hear that even, even when everything is lost. Um, but the, there are, there are, you know, people out there, they're like, oh, they're fine with them. Losing and I would them. say, heck, I would also turn around and say that, you know, you're talking 19,000. Yeah. Now in yeah. Philadelphia, it's more like eight to 10,000. Based off what we saw Monday, right? Yeah, that may be true of that group, but I mean, then you have a whole lot of people, yeah. a large number of people who don't go to the games, don't have the necessary. Yeah, and season ticket holders a are more committed mm -hmm. um, to the yeah. team, and secondly, they skew older, and yeah. and those people are are going to be just with you thin and uh, thick and thin. So that's true. I mean, we just see so the, the the odds just aren't there for tanking. It just doesn't it doesn't prove out. Mostly. Yeah, and you know, and people still don't understand tanking. I it just bugs me yeah. when people start talking that it's just outrageous that players would tank. And I, I say this all the time because people don't seem to get it. I'm sure yeah. our viewers understand it. Players have nothing to do with tanking. Thank you. Yeah. Tanking is a managerial decision. Yes. Yeah. Player, players it's, it's manipul it's roster manipulation. It has nothing yes. to do with what happens on the ice. Have you people seen major league for God's sakes? Yeah. Well, right. and players lose out when a team rebuilds because right. these young players take their jobs. Exactly. What league right. were you in? So they never, they never think, "Oh, we're going to get a a wonderful draft pick." They don't think right. like that. <laughs> never. Yeah. Coaches they don't should. think like that. Because yeah, that they think they're going to be gone. Draft pick yeah. might take their job. The player 100%. players will never tank. It is up to management to, and that's why you know, like for example, you know, back in the day, like I was an advocate of of, of the Leafs. You know, bottoming out and getting, you know, this is to 07, 08, 09, yeah. you know, when, when Stamkos was available. And I was uh, calling the, uh, the, the, uh, the hockey buzzcast when it was on a pod, <laughs> podcast form. And I'm like, okay, they have to trade Sundin. They have to trade all these guys. Yeah. 
And because they were too good, those players were too proud. They were not going to lay down and lose. They were going to try to make the playoffs. And the only way that you can make your team miss the playoffs and finish dead last is to gut them. And, and you know that you see what's going on right now. What, what happened a few years ago with Buffalo and Arizona? You see what's going on with Arizona and Montreal right now. That is the formula. That is the, the damage that does. Team. The damage that does, Mike, to players who are around losing situations for long periods of time is absolutely palpable. Like there's no there's no way you can you can sit there and say, you know, because you might not get that player and you, there's a chance you will. But you might not get that player. And if you don't get that player, the players who are there who are used to losing or get accustomed to losing, that is a huge problem. That is, and that is something that, that you you cannot get. Like I always think that it's better to keep a team winning and have a winning environment. Than but then you don't get the player act. Then yeah, you but you might – you're probably – you have a 25% the best thing. In the best case scenario, you have a 25% chance of getting that player, but you have a 100% chance that losing all those games is going to screw up those players. I mean, take yeah. – take, 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 go ahead. I, I, you know, I, I've always struggled a little bit about whether I actually believe that. Um, you know, I've tried to think back about teams that had lost for a while and then got it together, and you're a losing team until you're a winning team. Uh, and you know, is is it culture or is it just the right kind of guys came together? I, I mean, right now we have we, we don't talk great. about that. We talk about it yeah. as if it's uh, you know they, there's a losing culture, but you know, do the Oilers have a losing culture, or did management just not get the right players? Did they get unlucky with the draft? Like I, I'm not sure we really know the answer to that. I I tend to blame management more in Edmonton than, than, than they've got a losing culture. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's, it's impossible to know. It's like one of those arguments yeah. you can never know for sure. Um, because the reality is like, you still have a losing culture in Toronto from, from all those years of trying to win and try, trying to win and win. They still haven't won a playoff series. So listen, and the reality is that those guys still have, and when, what happens in that, what happens is this, the Maple Leafs fall down dangerously to, to to Montreal last year in the playoffs, and things start to get scary. And that's when all those players remember losing all those games. And to me, that's when it creeps no, into their head no. and they get psychologically messed up. No, yeah, no. I, well, I think I, we have different I, definitions of losing. I, 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 I disagree with that, okay. because, because if you look at the Leaf roster, yeah, there's one player from the tank year, one, Morgan Riley. Everybody else was either in the minors or drafted after. So that losing mentality is not prevalent with that team in terms of regular season success. It's it, it's prevalent because their team is they're not trying to learn how to win the playoffs. That's what they're trying to. They're, they're trying. They're they're trying yeah. to learn how to win. It doesn't even have to be in the players. It can be in the families. But they are struggling and going through those growing that those growing pains. Yeah. I mean, don't you think? Learning how to win in the playoffs is different than a winning and losing culture. I, I do. I, I think that's two separate things. Yeah. Like, I don't think the Toronto Maple Leafs have a losing culture, but I do think they're trying to figure out how to win in the playoffs because I yeah. do think once yeah. they get into the playoffs, their long history, and I mean long, yeah. um, that it gets talked about and it gets yeah. discussed. And they weren't there for all those, but yeah, if – Constantly, people are reminding you. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And people squeeze the sticks a little bit, and you wonder, okay, well, I got to try to defeat this. But is that losing culture? No, I I don't think so. And their fan, I think their their fan base is misrepresented. Their fan base has extremely high standards. They, you know, okay, there there are some who are old enough to remember when they won the Stanley Cup in '67, but you know there were teams that made made the conference final in '99, in '93, in '94, yeah. in 2002. Those aren't those aren't that's not ancient history. That's not in black and white. Uh, so you know, I mean, they ex- yeah. they expect that they expect a team that makes the most money or the second most money in the league to win. And when they don't, they're pissed off. And then when they don't win, they they're ready to take it out on the people that they deem responsible. And that's management, and that's coaches, and that's players. I agree with that. But I mean, Toronto fans are a bunch, a large collection of Russ Cohens, um, who believe they know exactly what needs to be done. Yes. Yeah, uh, every game, and not in like guessing what maybe (laughs) they should do, but feeling like. 
you know, they have a real handle on. And that's why I really like Toronto fans. I'm going to tell Russ you said that, Kev. If I could name yeah. this show, I would name it a large collection of Russ Cohen's. Russ is very passionate about his opinions, you know, and I've, I've right. described the difference. I've been a sports writer for 40 years and I always worry that I'm going to be wrong. And Russ never even no. thinks the possibility well, think about that, which is really funny about that. the idea of pilot air. You, you know what's really funny about that? Next to a press box, uh, they <laughs> yeah. We are we are a product of the teams we grew up watching. You know what I mean? And it's like, and the reality is, like, you know, Russ is a range is a you know he's a reporter now, but he's a Rangers fan. He was a Rangers fan growing up. He was you know, yeah. and, and the Rangers are like that, right? That is a Ranger mentality. And what makes you know when when I get like we have Jan Levine, who's a great writer for us. He has the Ranger mentality. Like when you have writers who are writing from that perspective of people who grew up with the team. It makes a huge difference because, you know, Anthony's that way. Bill Meltzer's that way. It's like with the Flyers. It's like this, you guys have seen the Ilkas and Asalos of the world and things like that. You've seen this whole reality that's happened, right, throughout. The, and, and you know, the, that's why my, and I'm, I'm a product of the Flyers culture as well, which is why I don't understand tanking because I had, a, I had an owner here who always went for it all the time. You know what I mean? What you do is you, you go for it. Even if it means you're yeah. going to sacrifice your future, you go for it. And <laughs> that doesn't always work. And I'm and I'm, a, and I'm a, I'm a product of the of the Leaf organization who, for the span of eight years, was a team that barely missed the playoffs. Yeah, always tantalized, always you know, and they weren't good enough to advance a round, but they were good enough just to screw themselves to to draft in the in the middle of the first round and drafted such great guys like Jeff Ware and Brandon Convery and okay, you are not going to win a good goddamn unless you're drafting at the top of the draft or unless you have a general manager like Steve Eiserman who will draft Vasilevsky's at the end of the first but round. You see that does happen and you don't have to always draft at the top of the draft and the reality you know and i listen my friend simon you know simon dingley right from yeah, yeah. cbc right great guy fantastic guy you know i've been friends with him for a very long time now he loves my he loves my one quote about maple leafs and and Ray canadians fans which i always throw out there is that is that canadian fans blame everybody else for what's happening for them to them and leaf fans blame themselves for every everything that's happening among themselves like and this is this has always been the case. Like this is, and it's it really is true. Like the the, the difference between those two giant fan bases is Montreal is an excuse culture quite often, and I'm I'm using that in the most it, just because they think that their group is great and somebody else must be screwing it with you, where Toronto is thinks that their group is messed up <laughs> and that they need to get better players, need to get to need to change things around, new coaches, new players, new general managers, and that's that's they're completely different that way, and I think it's true. And fan bases yeah. are. And Mike, you did, yeah, you grew up in a, you grew up in a, the team is very frustrating, you know, like that hasn't won since 67. Yeah. And, 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 and pile on top of that, that I'm a Buffalo Bills fan where, you know, the, the, so, yeah, for, the so you know. right. That plays into it too. Right. You've yeah, got the combination. I, I think it's a plus for the Maple Leaf fans though, because, you know, I, I said this before, but when the Maple Leafs decided they were going to uh, strip it down to the chassis, yeah. like Maple Leafs fans, they got it. They, they understood. Did. Like they they were totally on board, and the, the level of sophistication with the Maple Leaf fans is just so different. Like that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, they they immediately went to the dark side with regard to Muzzin, is because they know how that works. Like they yeah. know they understand concussion, yeah. they understand how yeah. that is. Now yeah, it's a little smart. premature, but they're <laughs> very sophisticated about how the nhl works they get it they know the salary cap you know you don't you know they, they understand tanking you know you, i don't have to explain it to them they get it they know it's not players tanking. you know that's it, it's the same same is true in montreal you know you know so yeah they're uh, toronto fans when i worked at usa today i used to hear from them all all the time this is crazy you're working at the usa today you know yeah but, <laughs> but i heard about them so from them. No, and and I, listen, the passion that they have, it, it it it's part of why I I'm in business, right? Like I get it completely. Yeah, no, they're they're really unrivaled in the English speaking world. Um, because yeah, you know Montreal, there's a lot of uh, French speaking who don't, uh, um, you know, you just don't hear from them. Um, yeah. they go elsewhere. But, but uh, before they did the tanking, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, there were years, many many years, where they did not accept that, and they tried to fix it. Like oh they, no, no, no. 
because you know, believe me, they they, they called on when I was a, call, a caller to Toronto radio yeah. for years. They called me the mayor of Tank Nation because right. I I was the one advocate. You know, there there are some, and there there are fans like this in all in all fan bases. Um, there are some Leaf fans who were content with the fact that if they won on Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada while they were sitting in their Barca lounge or drinking their 12-pack of Labats, that they were happy. They were satiated. But honestly, <laughs> this team was never going to win the Stanley Cup doing that. So, I, like, for me, as a fan, I'm like, okay, they need to get bad. They need to get top players in the draft and then they need to build around that. And then maybe they will win before, before most of their fan base shuffles off their mortal coil. I mean, that's the whole point of this, this whole thing is to root for a team that wins, not for a team that's going to be, you know, uh, 14th place in the NHL. Yeah, the great words of Brian Burke. There's only one parade every year, right? Yeah. And, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> and we all try to, everybody's trying to win. And yeah, well, and no matter what happens, it's a trade deadline. Only yeah. one team's going to get it right. Right, only one team's going to get it right, and everybody cool. else is going to get it wrong, and everybody's going to take kick gambles that didn't pay off. And yeah, and, yeah, and unless you win it all, it doesn't pay off. And that's, but I do want to talk about the, this is interesting because I do think we have like perhaps I can't remember a time when we've had two better Canadian teams in Canada than we have with Toronto and Calgary. Like right now, we have two teams that are absolutely. This is probably the best two Canadian teams in Canada we've had. We've had one good Canadian team at times, but can you remember two? Like this Calgary team is about to set another crazy record. Um, that they're gonna if they win their next game, they're going to be or no, I think they just said this, Randy. Correct me if I'm wrong. They were the first team to to sweep a seven game homestand. And this goes along with the fact earlier in the year they were the first team to sweep an eight game road trip, road 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 trip in, in history of the history of the league, right? So this is like a crazy thing, like this Calgary team is so interesting. And when you watch Gaudreau, and I watched last night, and I thought it was really interesting. And then on NHL later, um, I saw um, Brian Lawton talk about it. It was funny because it was exactly, I was kind of frustrated because exactly what I want to talk about the show is what he brought up about Gaudreau. Gaudreau has changed because he has been able to, for the first time in his career, have two gears. And Gaudreau always went at one gear, full speed, all the time. I thought you Two beers. I wonder where we were going. Oh, with two gears. Two gears. Two gears. surprising. Gaudreau's size. I'm not sure he's ever had two beers, but yeah, two, yeah, yeah. But um, but you know, but he's always gone full tilt, all out, full, absolutely full speed. Right. Last night on the one on the Lindholm's goal, he he comes across. He gets he gets the puck pass to him. They're on a three on two, and this is a situation where Gaudreau and his best would always try to like beat somebody, and make a play. He realizes that the play is not there. Circles back to the blue line, kind of, in, and slows it down. Waits for the trailer to pick up. Hits it with a pass, and they score. And I'm like, that is an interest. That's Johnny Gaudreau matured. That's a mature Johnny Gaudreau. Well, I, I, and maybe I'm maybe I'm overestimating this factor when it comes to Calgary because I saw Calgary play Toronto uh, last week, and I really like the way Daryl this team is playing under Daryl Sutter. They're big, they're mean, they're physical, and now with the, you know now with Goudreau and and Lindholm and Kachuk, and now they've added to Foley. They have enough offense to win, and Markstrom is playing great in goal. You got two completely different different built teams in Toronto and Calgary. One's all offense; the other one, I think, is more physical and more defense. And when you saw the two of them together, Calgary beat the crap out of the Leafs. They they, they Zadorov knocked Andre Kasha uh, for a loop, and and really, I thought the Leafs played in a way uh with f- with fear in, the, in their I saw that too Mike I, I agree with that and I, I think Calgary's a way better team than Toronto right now right. I, and, and, and and to your point about Goudreau do you think Goudreau is playing the way he is because and not, not the motivation of he's gonna be a free agent he's playing without fear because he knows he's protected he knows he's got guys that are physical on that team that will back him up in case somebody tries to do something. He nobody's going to touch him because Zadorov will drop a bomb on that guy or Gabranson. Yeah, or right, Michelle. and he also has a total emerging star playing with him in Lindholm. Right, like he's got this. He's got this. Like you know, this Lindholm. Lindholm me, it's been for a while now. Eck. I, I'm really on the on the Lindholm sulky. I think he's going to be in the. T- I think he's in the final three. Yeah. And I think he's actually if Calgary. I think he's actually 
I think has a possibility of potentially taking of taking the trophy this year. I think he's been that. He's got a serious shot. At it. And you know, so remember how Lindholm gets to Calgary? Do you remember this story? How he gets to Calgary? How he ends up in Calgary? Because where was he before he was that? Part of the, he was part of the deal with uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Noah Hannafin. With Hannafin, oh, right? He comes from Carolina. Hannafin, yeah. He comes from Carolina because Peters, right? Wasn't it Peters who was in Carolina? Mm-hmm. Like Lindholm and then ends yeah. up in Calgary and says, yeah. we got to get Lindholm up here. Right. And Bill Peters deserves a ton of credit for that, for picking him up in that trade. I mean, I, rem- I remember the trade like it was yesterday and that was like, that was a really an, a huge, and we all saw him. Why is Lindholm in, like Lindholm? We thought he was a good player, but just to see where he is now, it's just like, that's yeah, the, I, I, I don't know that I would refer to Goudreau maturing and Lindholm developing. I mean, they're 27 and, soon to be 28 and 29, you know, yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's I mean, fair, but they're in the primes of their careers and uh, playing very well. I Goudreau, what has really shocked me is, you know, the measurement of a quality player oftentimes is reflected in the even strength points. And yeah. um, Goudreau starting to pull away from people. Uh, he's yeah. got, uh, since the last time I looked like 53 even strength points, nobody's got, more than 48 and most people are down in the 40s right, uh, right. You know, he he's he is five on five is is goudreau time uh, yeah, it is it is and he is really taking advantage of that he's very dynamic and a lot of uh, top players have trouble getting points five on five but yeah he hasn't he's really been effective and uh, i'm starting to do i'm taking the top 10 teams in the nhl and doing you know, five reasons why they can win the cup and yeah. uh, three reasons why they can't. And um, starting with Calgary, and there are a yeah. lot more reasons why they could succeed than there are reasons why they could fare. I mean, they're yeah. a fail. I mean, they, they basically are built to compete in the postseason, in my opinion. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And Sutter, I don't know if you guys got to see Sutter's press conference last night. They played it on the NHL Network. Um, was the one of the funniest, like Sutter has so many moments that are funny, right? But they yeah. had, you know, they, a, a, a reporter asked him, what does it feel like to have like a cushion now between you and the next? <laughs> yeah, that was good. I saw yeah. this. And uh, so he comes out and says, you know what cushions are? Cushions are pillows and they're made of feathers. Um, he's like, it doesn't feel very good. Feathers can be pointy if they poke through that cushion. It doesn't feel very good. Yeah. <laughs> you start losing, you start well, losing those feathers. So. The, um, right. Back when um, he was coaching in L.A. and L.A. was good, the players considered Sutter press conferences must-see TV. They would gather around the television to watch Sutter do the press conference, and they would howl at each time. You know, he would joust with a, uh, and joust is too strong a word, um, but you know, a reporter knows that he, you know, he he's going to be could be challenged. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> question, uh, and they were very amused by uh, Sutter when he would do that. I've been in press conferences with him during the Stanley Cup finals a couple times, you know, and just like, and that is something it is, it is really, it's a little bit intimidating. It's a little bit like, you know, you know where you're going to go with it. Um, but it's always great. And you know how much the players just frigging adore him. And it's just like, because, because of the way, because this is part of it, like this is part of his personality, the just don't care thing. You know, like, I don't care what the team tells. I got to go talk to the media. So I'm going to talk to media. I'm going to say whatever I want to say. That's what the players want. The players want somebody to champion that for them. You know, this is like this is their world. They they get it, and and you know, and he's also just like the guy who's like reading. You know, we've talked about before, like reading reading you know, what kind of tractor you should buy and stuff like that on the yeah bus. yeah. He reads you know farm implement implement It goes beyond the media. Like um, yeah. you know, there were plenty of stories uh, uh, of of him just you know not being thrilled to have um corporate sponsors in his dressing room yeah. uh, you know really kind of old school about it and you know in the early days i think people saw that as well he's never going to go far but you know when you're that successful um you know you, you get licensed to do things that maybe other coaches can't right um, you right. know so and uh you know he's he, he doesn't mind like the, i i thought it was amazing what he said at a press conference about when someone asked him about a trade, well, you ought to talk to tree living about that. You know, yeah. <laughs> but if I'm tree living up there, I'm going, Oh, <laughs> yeah. <what> the- <laughs> you know, um, so, but uh, before, before we end the show, um, yep. I wanted to see what everybody thought of the Nathan McKinnon 
situation. The uh, he, he slashed at a linesman off of a faceoff in a game against the Bruins, and the NHL basically said, "Well, we've reviewed this, and we don't think it's worthy of any kind of discipline." I agree with and, that. It's not worthy. I don't think either. Well, I, I thought he was going to be suspended. So did I. And again, and Kevin, you know where I'm going to go with this. This is, this is, this is the start. And I, it was just, it was what happened in this play when I looked at it is that he ties up with the guy in the faceoff circle, right? And the the other guy takes a couple of little cheap shots at him and up high. And you can imagine McKinnon is like his face, you know, when you get punched in the face, you're, you're, you're not immediately coherent of where everybody is around you. And he just swings the stick towards the direction of the guy who was who was who was jousting with, and he, and the guy skates is, has already skated away by a step, and he hits the referee. That's what it looked like to me. I mean, so his his um, defense is, I wasn't meaning to swing my stick at you. Right. I, I hit you accidentally. Right. That's a, that's. Yeah, a I, I I don't think that would already vacated so the area. That's the only thing. Not really, he's only like a step away. It's still enough that it was. And, and listen, I, I think he, 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 there's no discipline now, but between the Patrick hit, which I think was definitely dirty, yeah, and this, there may be sort of a quiet sort of, you know, maybe nothing happens, but yeah, I mean, I things are going to start getting noticed. It doesn't exonerate you, right? You know, like I don't think he intended to to do that, but that doesn't exonerate you. Penalty for an accidental high stick, you know, an an accidental, you know, sw- when you swing your stick in a reckless manner, he yeah, swung his stick in a reckless manner, and he got the the official, and you know that I thought he would get a couple games. You don't so. think intent plays into this at all? It does play in, in, into it in terms of how much he's going to get. Yeah, but if you're reckless. You know, if you recklessly drive your car and you accidentally run someone over, right. you know, you, you're going to pay a price for that. If yeah. you're reckless in your actions in a bar. It's, and, called, it's called vehicular homicide. That's what yeah, but that, we're talking about. Well, get away. Wait, wait, wait. But, but, but no, in, in anything, if you do anything and you act recklessly and someone is injured, you pay a price for that. You, you, you can get sued, you know, and so, you know, it just carries over on the ice if you're reckless. And the swing of the stick, like I, I don't time. think that he should be, uh, you know, go, uh, you know, face a big uh, penalty for this. But I thought, but I thought he would get one. Now, right. you know, I'm not losing any sleep over. I'm just saying, yeah. I, I probably would have given him a, uh, a suspension. So and, okay, and I'll, I'll just, again, this is where this is where I have the problem, Mac. If it was another Colorado Avalanche center, number ninety-one, Nazem Kadri. He would have been suspended. Yeah. yeah, for sure. No, because I don't think the sl- I don't think the slash at the player. If he hits the player back with that slash when they're with, after the players hit him a couple times with a couple dirty shots, it's even worse that he slashed a linesman. Yeah, but he doesn't. If he if he if he intentionally escapes by and slashes a linesman, yes, of course, hundred percent. There's a difference. I mean, we're talking about like yeah, guys would get guys would get sued and put in jail all the time for just fights. You know that we see in hockey all the time. Yeah. Player versus player is allowed. That's a different rule set. That's a different I, thing. I, I'm sure. I'm sure Tom Lysiak back in the '80s was, was said. I didn't mean to trip the linesman. I just happened to stick my stick in between his legs and can opener him. It's, yeah. You know, well, in basketball, we've seen several times when the guy just comes up and he comes to argue the call, and in his hurry to get there, what does he do? He bumps the referee. What happens? He's yeah, gone. I, I, He's right. And he Kevin, didn't need to do that. Yeah, Kevin, no. That's directed at the referee again. He's angry at the referee. He's going towards the referee. This all is happening towards the referee. None of this was happening towards the referee in any way, shape, or form. Kev, Jawan yeah. Howard didn't really mean to punch the Wisconsin. Yeah, team. he should have gotten more than the rest of the <laughs> I, I like Jawan Howard quite a bit. Former St. Joe, by the way, former St. Joe uh, Hawks head coach. Yeah, and, yeah know, like, like I said, I mean, I, I, I do see your point, Eck. I, I think we're, you know, as Brendan Shanahan said to me one time, well, what did, you know, it, when he gave a guy a fine, he said, well, what did you think you should have got? And I said, well, I thought you should have got a game. He said, all right, so we're arguing the difference between a fine versus one game. Now, he yeah. said, you know, there's a lot of gray here. So you and I are, you, you say he doesn't get one, I think he maybe should have got a game or two. You know, it's just in the eye of the beholder. It's it's not the end of the world. So Yeah, but part of this, I mean, if Kadri does it, Kadri's got a career of doing stupid things. McKinnon doesn't. McKinnon doesn't have a career of doing stupid things. 
McKinnon yeah. has been been a good soldier. I mean, McKinnon hasn't taken shots at referees in the past. I mean, we're not talking about anything. No, no, we're but, talking about McKinnon trying. He's a star it, player who got disoriented because he was slashed up towards up high. But, and but, he as, but as Anthony just said, I mean, with the Nolan Patrick hit, that was a borderline situation where, you know, I think some players would have been suspended for that, but because it's Nathan McKinnon and he's a star player, I think they gave him the benefit of the doubt, just like they've given Ovechkin the benefit of the doubt many a time. And he's one of the dirtiest players in this league. Ovechkin's a dirtier player than Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, historically, though, the NHL has protected their officials, yeah. Yeah. Uh, regardless of, you know, they don't want to hear, well, I didn't mean to. And, you know, they, they say, you know, you got to be careful. Uh, around, around uh, referees, and you got to be mindful of where they are, you know, that kind of thing. Did so. McKinnon apologize to the guy? Do we know anything about that? Like on the ice, like as the play was going on? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I, my guess is they went to the, the NHL, went to the official, and the official said, ah, no, he was just, he wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't directed at me. It just hit me. You, know? you think they did that? I, I mean, why wouldn't they? Because that, that, that plays into the intent. Like if, if, if McKinnon had been fighting with that ref, that linesman, like right before the face, the drop or whatever, drop the puck, drop the puck. That you know? was early last night. That was yeah. Kind of the yeah, that, that, that's fair. That's fair. Maybe they did. Maybe they called him and he said, "Yeah, don't worry about it." It feels like that's. It feels like that would be a call you'd have to make in that situation because otherwise, you know, you'd have to know if there was intent. There's no intent. Yeah, right. You know, I, I I err on the side of protecting officials. You know, you got to protect yeah. yourself around them. You know, we. T- you know, that's a kind of a standard thing now in the NHL. You know, you're responsible yeah. for your stick. You know, well, that's, that's a great point. Yeah, McKinnon acted irresponsibly. And you'll but, call a high stick even if you're on a follow through or whatever, something that you didn't mean to yeah. do. You're responsible yeah. for yourself. But that's player on player, player against referee. Well, player on player. referee is worse though. I mean, that's well, a player on referee is is historically. No, it's um, worse if it's intended to hurt the referee. No, the referees, no, get, referees get hit with pucks all the time, and we don't sit there and say the player See, tried to hitting with a puck is a lot different. I mean, yeah. I've seen players take shots, take the. You've seen it too, like at the end of a, at, the end, yeah. at the end of a play where a player hit, like it, it, taking off an icing or whatever, and it touches the icing and then just fires it around the boards really hard. You yeah, know, hitting a referee. I've seen that happen where I'm like, there's some intent. He meant to hit him for something. That that's something that felt like that. But this didn't. I don't know. Maybe well, it's, it's all opinion. I mean, yeah. No, like I said, it's the. It's not like we're arguing the difference between zero and ten. No, yeah. Um, I'd like to think that they talked to the referee and got the intention there. Yeah, I mean, if that's the case, then I guess I'd respect that decision more. Yeah, or McKinnon said something to the referee afterwards, too, and said, oh, man, sorry about that. I didn't, was, I didn't thought he was there. Anyway. I thought I was trying to kill the player. Not yeah, just. I was just trying to kill the player, which, you know, is wrong. Still not yeah, as but, wrong. Yeah, not as wrong. That's right. <laughs> not not as wrong. That's it's right. Not suspension worthy when two guys are hit, slashing at each other. To me, that's, yeah. that's, that's like that's a different situation. That's hockey, folks. That's hockey, right? There you go. Well, remember without the buzz, folks. It is just hockey. Whether you're slashing at the referee or slashing at your bomb, whatever it is, it's 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 hockey. And uh, we will talk to you all again tomorrow. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.